All right, well, this morning uh, we have Pastor uh, Jared Hodgson with us. He is the, yeah, give it up for Pastor Jared. He is the director of the School of Leadership at Victory Faith in Spokane, Washington. And he's been with the School of Leadership since 2010, but he's been coming here since 2009, so about 13 years. He has been ministering to us. And, and our church family and our, in our community. And he's brought with him this morning a team of interns who are going to bring the goods. And they've actually been uh, doing some projects around here. And I heard they got into the, the storage shed out here. And it's looking cherried out and looking awesome. And maybe they got the Octoball Arena organized. I'm not totally sure. But would you walk with me, Pastor Jared, this morning? Thank you, thank you. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, some serious history. Oh, hey, familiar faces. Yeah, it's been good. If you haven't been around for very long, yeah, we've been coming around for quite a while. And I just want to say something like uh, Pastor Doug and Lois Cotton are just an amazing people. You are blessed to be under their care. Um, they are truly loving individuals. Um, they are laboring for the kingdom of God. They are giving of themselves. And I just want to say, let them know your appreciation. And uh, I appreciate them. Uh, they're gone right now and trusting us. Just open their house to us and say, have at it, which is kind of crazy. But that's just who they are as people. They care about people. And so I just want to honor them. They mean a lot to me and uh, to our house. I think even Pastor Doug in August is coming to preach up in Victory Faith. And so, hey, come on and bring him over to our side. So it's good. A um, little bit about me real quick. Turning 37 June. I know. I look young. <laughs> Married. Uh, just celebrated my 10th anniversary. I have two children back home. Got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, a girl and a boy. Love them to death. And so it's going to be good. We're going to have some, a couple testimonies from some of our interns, our students here. I'm going to follow up. And I just think the Lord is just going to minister and touch your heart. I want you to prepare yourself uh, just for the word of God, for the stories. And how about I just pray for us before we begin. So, Father God, we just thank you. We invite your presence into this place, Lord. God, we invite you as you already are, God, that you would begin to open up our hearts, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'll just invite Jessica up. She's a second year. So come on. All right. Thank you, guys. Well, my name is Jessica, like Pastor Jared said, and I'm excited to be here. Wasn't worship just so awesome? Yeah. Presence of the Lord is so sweet. So, so thankful. So just a little bit about me. I am 20 years old. I'm a second year in the school leadership. I'm the youngest of six in my family, and I have four brothers, one sister. I was homeschooled, and I grew up north of Spokane on 20 acres, so I spent most of my time outside doing almost anything and everything, <laughs> and I was blessed to be a part of an amazing family, really close with my parents and my siblings. I've gr grown up going to church almost all of my life, and my parents have modeled what it looks like to be in the Word daily and praying constantly. That's a big reason of why I am where I am at today, because of them and their example. So I gave my life to Jesus at a very young age, probably around five or so, and though life hasn't been perfect, as I've grown up and grown my grown in my personal relationship with the Lord, he's been so faithful, and he's walked me through all the struggles of life, struggles of growing up, struggles of dealing with anxiety at times, of seeing my dad deal with cancer, seeing a sibling walk away from the Lord, 
of having a special needs brother and questioning him and his healing. But through all of that, when I look back, all I see is his faithfulness and his goodness in the midst of it. I believe he has protected me and hidden me in the shadow of his wings. I've been preserved from the destruction and hardship of sin. And I've discovered that I don't have to go and taste all the things of the world to know that he's the only one that will ever satisfy me. He's been faithful through all of life's ups and downs. He was faithful in the times where I was tempted to stray away from him by continually reminding me that his presence is the only thing that will satisfy. He's taught me to trust in him and remain in him even through disappointment when things in my life have gone, haven't gone the way I thought they would. And he was even faithful in leading me to do the school leadership. And it was something I questioned and I wrestled with. I was like, is something I need to do? He showed me that even though I have loved the Lord all my life, there's still so much power in discipleship. And there was more he wanted to show me and grow in me through the school. And he has done just that. He showed me I am loved even when I feel weak and inadequate. I've had leaders that have led and loved me so well and have let me be vulnerable and have shown me that there's nothing I can do to earn the Lord's love. In areas where I can be a people pleaser, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do everything right, have it all together. He's teaching me it's okay to be in the process and to not have it all together, but to lean on him. And where I can also tend to shrink back instead of be bold and use my voice. I've been called up. I've had no choice but to press through the nerves and the doubt and realize that what I have to say is important. My voice is powerful. And where even at one point I thought my testimony wasn't as powerful as others because I haven't had a really hard past. I haven't walked away from the Lord to return to him. I've just grown up loving him. He's shown me that I know my testimony is powerful because it's a testimony of his goodness and not my badness. And as someone who has a desire to be a wife and a mom someday and to have a family, that's the very thing I want for my kids is that they would know the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord all the days of their life like I have. And if I can encourage you guys with anything, it'd be to remain, to remain in him, remain in the house of the Lord. You're not missing out on anything by pursuing him and only him. Draw near, don't let disappointment take you out, but draw near to God and he will draw near to you because he's worth it. He is worth staying in the course. He loves you. He is good and he is faithful. I appreciate you guys having me and listening to me and I get to introduce my sweet friend, Emma. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Emma, and um, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story, a little background on me. I am 19 years old, and I am a second year in the School of Leadership. I grew up with a pretty big family. Um, I have six siblings, um, so it was always really loud and crazy in my house. Um, I also grew up always knowing about the Lord. It was, but it was always my parents' relationship with him and not really what I believed. But I'm pretty sure my parents are one of the main reasons that I'm here today. They loved me in the midst and they showed me who the Lord really was. They loved me even though they had no idea the turmoil I was going through. To explain a little bit more, when I was four years old, I was sexually assaulted by my uncle. And it lasted several years and it was brutal and it was vicious, and it was vile, and it really just destroyed me, and it cracked me, and I felt hopeless, and I felt lost, and from there, I totally sprinted from the Lord. Even though I was young, I knew, and I didn't know if a good God would let this happen, so I sprinted. Leading into my teen years, I went to anything that I thought could fill me, drugs, alcohol, boys, even social media, 
I would try to be the perfect person so that maybe I would feel loved. Maybe I could earn it if I was just good enough for once is what I thought. But honestly, I was extremely empty and I lived like this for years. I felt lost, hopeless. I thought that I would never feel fully joyful or feel fully loved. I thought pain was my portion and that was all I was going to get. But in the midst of this, my older brother Micah kept dragging me to youth group, kicking and screaming. I was like, these people are so weird. I do not want to go. This is not for me. But I highly respected my brother, so I kept going. And then my brother asked me to go to camp. And that is where the Lord radically met me. <laughs> but just because the Lord met me didn't mean that I surrendered to him. So a couple months after camp, I fell back into my old ways of life. I didn't want to give up my sin, but I also didn't want to give up the Lord. So I was in this weird place where I had one foot in and one foot out. It was like this in-between. And when COVID hit, it was one of the hardest seasons of my life. My friends were pulling me one way and the Lord was pulling me another. But let me tell you that the Lord never left me. He never left and he's not gonna leave you either. He pulled my heart, pulled on my heart in the sweetest ways. He was convicting me, but not condemning me. But I couldn't have the best of both worlds. I had to choose. You have to choose one way or the other. And clearly I chose the Lord and it was by far the best thing I have ever done. And in that I turned in my application to the School of Leadership. Woo, shout out. He has always been there. When I didn't see it, when I saw him, when I almost gave it all up. He protected me and he will continue to protect me. He has covered me in his love. He has called me a daughter and his creation. And there's no scheme of the devil that can change that. There's no heart he can't heal. And I wasn't the exception to that. In these last two years, he has radically shifted my life. He took me by the hand and he walked me out of my grave. He spoke love and purpose over me. He redeemed my life. I realized that there's nothing that I have done and nothing that was done to me that could change that. He set me free, free from the shame of the things that I have done and free from the shame of what was done to me. He took all the pain that was welled up in my heart from the years of abuse and the years of sin, and he nailed it to that cross. He picked me up and he said, this is my girl. This is my daughter. When I thought that I was too far gone, he said, no, you are not. And I was in the perfect spot for his redeeming love. His grace that has always been sufficient. His grace that has been sufficient in my life and can be sufficient in your life too. The Lord is so kind. He's faithful and he's running after you. When I thought I was too far gone or I had sinned too much or too much had happened to me, he spoke the exact opposite over me. He met me in my weakest moments. He showed me just how worth it I was to him. He restored this broken, sinful girl who ran as fast as she could away from him. He brought me into the kingdom of light. Everyone says this, but it really is a miracle that I'm here today because I shouldn't be. But his grace triumphs over that. Two years ago, I would have been drinking myself to sleep every night, and now I'm here talking to you. I couldn't have done any of this on my own. 
I didn't do any of it in my own strength, but he brought me in and he took me in. He triumphs over all, over every circumstance. He reigns above every sin and every evil thing that was done to you. He reigns above it all. Thank you for listening. Now I get to introduce Pastor Jared. Isn't that good? You get to be a part of that. It's one of the blessings in my life. If you were here for a service, it was, it was an emotional roller coaster for me, but I have a feeling it may be the same. And that's all right. Um, been stirred in my life, been thinking about you guys, praying, and um, I think this is going to touch you as it touches me. It's amazing. Um, I have two amazing parents. Both love the Lord um, all the days that I've known them since the womb. <laughs> and, um, you know, me growing up at that, I did accept the Lord at a young age, but that didn't keep me from uh, finding myself in peculiar positions. I don't know if any of you have ever been caught uh, by your parents. Um, it's worse than being caught by other people, at least for me. Get caught by the school, get caught by your friends, but to get caught by your parents is just another thing. Um, like I was uh, with my girlfriend in my bedroom, and uh, my mom caught me in a peculiar uh, scenario, and uh, we weren't doing each other's nails, if you get my drift. Um, let's just say that the girlfriend had to go home. I remember uh, wrecking my Mazda 323 and uh, just thinking about how I was going to break that to my dad when he got home and uh, best believe that that lawn never looked so good by the time he got home, right? Getting ready for to break the news. Break the news that I totaled the car. Um, finding alcohol in my closet and a thousand other precarious, interesting situations that parents often have to deal with. But you know what? Looking back at it, it wasn't the things that were wrong that stood out the most to me. The thing that stood out the most to me was my parents' response to me time after time when they found out what I was up to. The things that they found out, their response was the thing that would actually penetrate my heart. They would look past what I was doing, and they would begin to proclaim who I was. Not only to them, but to God, the call of God on my life, my future. And they began to see me still as their son, and that does something to an individual. But I know that not everyone's so fortunate. I know it's not the case for everybody, that some of you were found and you were met with anger. And some were met with disapproval. And I think one of the worst is that some of you were met with parents that actually didn't really care. It's like you'd almost wish that they were angry. But I'm not here to fix what your experience is, but I am here to tell you that there's a God to be experienced that has another word. 
that there is a goodness of God that can replace because the way that you interacted with humanity in a sinful man is not the way that God interacts to you, regardless of where you find yourself and what position you find yourself with God right now, that he has a different thing to say. The goodness of God is greater than you could ever think, hope, or imagine. You know, I've been to church my whole life, and I've recently just been in a season of being absolutely undone by the goodness of God. I'm not talking just about finances and factitious things that we can develop over time or, you know, like a new car or something, but just his overwhelming goodness and patience with me. You know, we serve a God that is so overwhelmingly patient. When I'm undeserving, out of line, seemingly out of step with his purposes. As if I could ever do anything to deserve what God does for us, what the cross has prepared for us, the way that he loves us. But you know, when you're doing good in the church, you've served the Lord for a while, and then you find yourself in a compromising position, weak in your faith, going astray, feeling separated, it hits different, doesn't it? Doesn't it hit different as if now because I've accepted the grace of God now, now when I find myself in this, he's got to be way more disappointed. I want to tell you that's not the case. finding yourself feeling, am I worthy enough? And you've been in the church, you've met the grace of God and how the enemy can come in and say, do I still deserve the goodness of God? How does God view me? These are the times where if you have the prophetic people in, you know, you choose not to go up to church. Hide your face, oh God. (laughs) Right? You ever been there? Just don't. I know what God has to say to me. So I don't need to hear it from the big shot with the mic. It's true. But oh, if you only knew the words that he had to say to you. If you only knew how he has this beautiful way of viewing you beyond your performance. There's a goodness that goes beyond your behavior. And he begins to see the son or the daughter that's behind the doing. And he begins to call to that. That's the goodness of God. That's the cross. That's the gospel. The gospel goes beyond behavior, and he begins to sit aside and penetrate the hearts of people with his goodness. To bring you to the end of yourself with his patience, with his long-suffering. You know, one of my favorite scriptures And it's found in Romans 2, verse 4. I use it all the time, and it's so funny because it's sandwiched in between chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2 in Romans. And it's just talking about just the lawlessness and the unrighteousness and the wickedness of man. 
and how if they continue to go on and God would just let them give themselves over to it. And if they continue on and on and on, there's a wrath that's stored up to them in the end. But in between there, there is a question proposed and it sums up God and his mercy and his goodness. In verse 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and long-suffering? He says that in the, the looking at it, it's like these are the people that, because nothing is happening to them, they think they're all right with God, and, and Paul is talking to them. Not realizing that, that there's nothing going on because God is so good that he actually has a long-suffering towards them. He's like, I don't desire to punish you. There's nothing inside my core, even though sin would demand it, that wants to punish you. So I will tolerate. I look past it. I don't see what you're doing with hopes that my goodness would have a better word in your life. That my goodness would win you over. The question is beautiful and amazing. God is overwhelmingly patient. With us. And his desires and his motivation is not for punishment, but relationship, mercy, and strength to you when you feel strengthless. It's his heart. Jesus does not desire you to pay for something he already paid for. His desire is that you would live a life that he paid for. It's, it's actually kind of a selfish thing. It's all about him. It actually brings him glory when you accept what he has done for you. He desires to take the least and make them the great. He desires to find the hardest and see them come to life in something that he paid for. He doesn't want anybody to pay for it. He paid for it. Why would he want you to pay for something that he already paid? It doesn't even make any sense. His goodness would extend past even the hardest of hearts and say, I've got a better word. If you only knew his thoughts, the hot thoughts that you could find yourself running from, the word that you think that he has, because of your experience with man, finding yourself in church thinking that I should be better. I should be beyond this by now. Will I ever be actually good enough? Can I just continue to stay in this cycle? Will my faith ever be there? Could I worship God like so-and-so? And you find yourself, and the enemy would come in and diminish who you are in the face of God. It's like, never were trying to prove yourself to me. God's whole purpose was to prove himself to you. We, we are just recipients of his goodness and love. It sounds too good to be true. You don't get that in this life. The only thing that I can think of that even compares to just a person that's just there and is a recipient of love is a newborn baby. The baby is just there, and you just love it because it's a baby. Right? You're God's baby. Always has been, always will be. 
He loves you. It's the simplest, most preached thing, but yet it's the most profound thing to understand. There's a passage in the scripture. It's found in Luke 11.32. It's called the prodigal son, and there are three characters. There's the God the Father. He represents God in heaven, and then there's the two sons. You can put yourself, you can say there's two daughters, but those two sons are you and me. And in this parable... God is trying to express his view of you. And so he says that the younger son, and I want to add about the younger son, the younger son is in the house. He's not new to salvation. He's actually living with the father. With a full inheritance that he, out of just his own ambition, asked for early. And the father would give it to him and he would leave the house and go to something more attractive. And he would find himself, it would say that he spent it on reckless living or wild living. And you can put anything that you want in that wild living, whether that is partying, cocaine, homosexuality, sex out of marriage, debauchery, whatever you want to put, that reckless living. The thing is, is that God doesn't really care what the reckless living was. The only thing the father was expecting was the return. Not with his arms folded. Not with how he's going to pay me back on the squandering. But overjoyed when he saw his son coming home. That he would run to him. And as the son would come up with all of these things, he said that when he was by himself and he spent all of his money and there was a famine in the land and all his friends would leave and he found himself hungry and alone, he would remember the father's goodness. How do we know he'd remember the father's goodness? Because he would say, even the servants in my father's house have more than enough. So I'm not worthy to be his son, so I will at least plead that I could be one of your servants. The posture, isn't that how we posture ourselves? Well, God, I just sit in the back. Is there just like, could I just get into heaven? We're, we're interesting creatures. And yet the God the Father, before he could even finish his speech to him, has completely ignored him, absolutely astonished and excited that he would hug him, he would kiss him, he would ask for his servants to get the ring, the robe, the sandals, and he would restore to him in an instant everything that he squandered. He loved the son. Just like he loves you. You're no different. The son has no name. The daughter has no name because that's your name. That is how he views people. He looks beyond the surface and says, there's something of value on the other side, and I want it. I paid for it, and I want to return on it. That's relationship. Could you imagine? This seems too good to be true. You know, the son would say, and it's actually one of the most practical like biblical things he could actually go. He said that I am not worthy to be a son anymore. Who is? 
Last time I checked in the gospel that all have fallen short. There's only one who is worthy. His name is Jesus. And he bought your shame. He paid for your shortcomings. He paid for your dysfunction. He paid for your lack. He paid for your sin so that you could be a son and a daughter of the Most High. Why? Because it's the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that comes. He calls you worthy. You don't have anything to prove. You live your life like that, it'll change things. It'll actually provoke goodness. It's like God is wanting to not kill you. He wants to kill you with kindness. He wants to break through your hardness. He wants to say, I want to find you in the worst, most peculiar. I want to open up the door on you in the bedroom and come in and say, come on. Come on. I paid for that too. We can't comprehend the goodness of God. It stretches from the beginning of time to infinity, and you'll never, ever comprehend it in this life. But you can try. You can try. I remember when I was young, and I was swimming. Swimming in this little river. And (sighs) this river had a bend, and all the parents that were lounging and reading books, right? Or over here on the grass knoll. Around the corner, it, there was like a little dip. Maybe It could have been maybe like six to eight feet. I was probably seven. And so I didn't know it was there. And so I'm just swimming with my sister and we're doing And all of a sudden, my feet left the ground. And I began to panic. Fear would absolutely grip me. And I would begin to swim out of control in a straight line, which, by the way, is the last thing you want to do in a river. But I just didn't. Fear is a peculiar thing. Uncertainty is a peculiar thing. And you're stuck doing the same thing over and over to exhaustion. And I know that I probably would have died because my dad, who was not there, had the Holy Spirit. He just felt this weight. And he began to pray. This is pretty crazy because my younger sister was there too. And a man in a white suit, which by the way, there was no man in a white suit, would come to a little child and say, go get your mother. Jared is in trouble. So she's like, hey, hi, mom. A man in a white suit says that Jared's in trouble. My mom's like, what? So she comes around, right? I'm screaming. My head's starting to dip underwater. And my mom was able to pull us out, just cling to her, right? The goodness of God will pull you out. But here's the thing. A lot of times we resist the goodness of God because we don't know how to surrender to him. There's a repentance that comes. This is the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God 
And we can do the same thing and we can swim to exhaustion one foot into the church, just like the testimonies, one foot in the church, one foot out and wondering why is this Christian thing so hard? And it's really, it's because we're swimming upstream and we fail to realize that all we have to do is stop struggling and let the grace of God take us to safety. Let go. There is a response to his goodness. It's surrender to him. It's saying, God, I don't know how to do this thing fully, but by your grace, I am dare to believe that you love me as I am, and your grace is capable of carrying me through even the hardest of seasons. And these things that seem to satisfy, these patterns that I seem to be stuck in, I dare to believe that if I actually have the audacity and boldness to resist, that you might be that good that you could catch me. that I don't have to swim at all. I just need to let go. Maybe you find yourself here and you're like, this is the first time and you are so bold to even step through these doors and you're like, what did I get myself into and what am I feeling? God wants to call you this morning, bring you to himself this morning ask that you would surrender and open your heart to him, that he would actually fill it with his Holy Spirit and fill you full of love that you can never experience unless it comes from the God of the Most High, the true Father. You didn't have a Father in your life? Guess what? He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a better word. Everyone stand up. If you find yourself afar or adrift or you've never even experienced this God and you're like, something is calling me and I need this God that you're talking about, this good God, this patient God, could it be so much that maybe I would just open my heart enough to give him a chance and to surrender to something that I can't see, but yet I can experience the God that heals as we prayed for people today. You know, in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess or if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You enter into sonship, daughtership with the King of the Most High who has a kingdom that is not of this earth, but it has power to penetrate the hardest of hearts in the most dire circumstance. If that's you, fine. I wanna, I'm not going to call you up, but I am wanting to pray with you. If that's you online and something has said, Lord, i got to just do this thing. Could you just raise your hand in this place so I know who I'm praying for? Come, Holy Spirit. Could you just repeat after me and just say, Father God, forgive me of every area that I have been wrong. Lord, I just ask that you would do something powerful. That you would come into my life. That you'd be Lord in my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Thank you. Thank you. 
Can we just thank God? Just thank God. Just thank you with your own words. Invite him. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. You know what? The powerful thing about repentance is that it's not just this like negative word that would bring you to something like, I just did it again. It's the most celebrated word besides Jesus in the whole entire kingdom of heaven. And it's something that we go to repeatedly to him because it's not celebrating the sin, but it's celebrating the one who was on the cross. So I just want to invite our interns. I want to make some space if you felt like I just need some prayer, something that spoke to me. I just want to make some opportunity that we can pray for you and minister to you as we begin to close with a worship song and with Pastor Cameron. Thank you so much for listening to me, but I would encourage you to come and get prayer if you feel led. Amen. Amen. Wow, thank you so much, Pastor Jared. We have the interns up here all the way from Spokane. They came just to, to pray just for you. So we're going to continue on in worship, but please come on forward. You have a need, uh, some healing. Uh, maybe you want to intercede for someone else. You want someone just to agree with you in prayer. So come on forward. We're going to worship a little bit longer.